Welcome everyone to the MMOs.com podcast. Episode 178, first episode of the new year 2019. Alta here, joined by Remo. And it does feel weird. It's 2019. And it's gonna feel weird for the first month or two saying 2019 instead of 2018. Or in our case, even typing 2019. Because when I type that, every time I type, type dates, I'm just used to typing 2018. That's true. Uh what are your thoughts on 2019? I feel like it's gonna be a waiting year. I think 2020 is the big one, you know? 2020, like 2020. Every 10 years is the big one, and right before is the waiting one. Is that how it works? It's the, waiting. It's the year of waiting, boys. Uh, I feel like last year was kind of the year of waiting, too. We didn't really get too much happening last year in terms of new MMORPGs. Honestly, we did our Game of the Year uh, awards earlier, and it, honestly, we had such a slim pickings that it felt really weird. Even like, A lot of our categories felt really weird. Because That's I think true. a lot of websites for MMORPGs, I know Massively OP just gives it to like whatever. Like, we try to keep our game of the year to that year, right? It has right. to come out that year to make our list. Otherwise, you know, we can we can give our game, like, our game of the year would be, like, some of the same few and more PDs all the time, the most successful ones, right? But, so it was very tough picking out some games for, for our list. Do you want to run through that first or uh, weekly raid? Uh, we can do either. I'll tell you, you are the, you are the maestro here. All right, let's, let's go through our picks of the year first, okay? Yeah. And like you said, it, it was slim pickings because we tried to, like Omar said, we, we picked games that came out this year or 2018. Uh, not just you know games that have been running for a while. And yeah. even though we try to keep it to games that came out in 2018, we had to give it to MapleStory 2, despite the fact that it, it launched in 2015 in Korea, right? Yeah. So even this is a bit of a flub because it didn't actually come out in 2018 initially. And if anybody disagrees with MapleStory 2 as the MMORPG of the year, I challenge you to name me any other MMORPG that's even like remotely like decent that came out this year. There really was nothing else on MMORPGs that launched this year. So kind of Maple Story 2 kind of won it by default. All right. Definitely old, not Atlas, I'll the tell old you that. Showing up uh award. All right, bless online cap, but no, get get that shit out of here, all right? Bless, yeah. I think, didn't make our list, but for something else. That's right. Uh a few of the contenders uh against Maple Story 2, like you said, it was some pickings. I think I think closers, right? Mm-hmm. It was a game that came out this year. That one came out this year. Did Solar um, come out this year? No. I don't remember. Well, regardless, Project, never came out like last year. Project you know. Gorgon, I believe, which is a very niche yeah. indie title. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, a, just a, basically a very slow year in uh, in MRPGs. Yeah. So one kind of won it by default. What else we got? So for a best expansion, we gave it to Path of Exile: Betrayal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this game has been continuously updated, and it, again, every every time one of these big yearly expansions comes out, it breaks a new record in player base, yeah. which happened again. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still doing really well on Steam and off Steam. It's on Xbox and also coming out on PS4, I believe, this month or next month. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll do even better. Uh, it'll have an even better year, I think, this year. And then an even better one in 2020 when their major 4.0 update comes out. So, yeah, great game coming out to consoles. Uh, I think it'll do well there it's as well. It's consistently doing well, too. I feel every expansion for Path of Exile has been really good. The path that game is on is awesome. The Path of Exile is yes. a good one. There you go. All right, next. Most anticipated, Lost Ark. So finally, this is a game that we've been trying to uh, follow for years since we saw that one trailer that made it look epic. And it's it actually, actually coming out, out soon. Well, it, it's already out in Korea now. It has open mm-hmm. beta. And surprisingly, it actually shot to the top of Twitch mm-hmm. when the Korean launch happened, even though Twitch is not big in Korea. It's, yeah. it's not like their main streaming platform. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of demand, excitement for this. And I suspect... We'll get at least something in 2019, whether it's a closed beta uh, or an open beta. I'm not sure yet, but we'll get we'll get our hands on it. I think in 2019, we'll learn something for sure this year. Yeah, and I'm hyped to play it. 
And moving along here, card game of the year. So this is another category that uh, slim pickings. We gave it to Magic the Gathering Arena mm-hmm. for being the first playable online Magic game. Not it's not the first, but it's the first one that's remotely playable and accessible. Uh, yeah, accessible, like Magic Gathering exactly. Online is much less accessible, and a lot of these other Magic games have never ran well because of the complexity of Magic. But they did a pretty decent job with Magic the Gathering Arena. I remember when uh, the initial Magic the Gathering Online launched years ago, like years ago, right? Mm-hmm. It was free, but this with the with the starting deck and you could not get yeah. a single new card for free right yep. and um, you and i played that for so long i remember yeah, yeah. we played the starting deck over it was and over again. so bad like the ui the cost like the, yeah. the controls were just so bad and um magic the gathering arena has fixed a lot of that those issues i think mm-hmm. how do they do it i think did they just like not include cards that are too complicated for the no 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 because there are certain more complex interactions that you can kind of do because i think like you have some things like set to skip certain phases when it's not necessary it just does it automatically for you but you can turn those off. So if you want to reply to certain things, and it always like if you literally have no chance to reply to anything, you have no mana, it doesn't even ask you. So it kind oh. of streamlines a lot of it automatically. But you mm-hmm. do have to kind of turn those features off when the game is getting in a more complex phase, like like later later in the game. Right, and also it's free to play, which and it's free to earn cards. It's actually very generous. I remember uh, I played just a tutorial, and I got like a whole deck for free. And as you could do this multiple times, you can get multiple decks for free. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason we gave it to Magic the Gathering Online versus the one other competitor this year, uh, which was Artifact by Valve. Uh, Valve did not get the get this reward because I just I they made so many errors. One, it was buy to play. Two, there was no way to earn cards for free. Uh, three, it launched with no kind of uh, features like in terms there was like no rank system, there was no leaderboard, no, rank, there was no chat, nothing. nothing, no emotes. Uh, and I, I we we talked about it in the past how it it doesn't even feel like a multiplayer game it's just you could be playing against bots for all you know there's no like there's no way to know uh yeah, yeah so just just a, a blunder and and there's their numbers have shown that it's kind of a blunder uh it's val um artifact is just not popular there's not that many people online every time i look at the steam charts the peak players are lower uh i don't know if they can salvage this one uh we'll see mm-hmm. and all right we'll see, yeah. most innovative this is an interesting little category we have and we gave it to Survive By, which is basically a game that's inspired by Realm of the Mad God. Yeah. But this one is not on the browser. It's on Steam. You can download yeah, it. Yeah, I, I placed one, so let, let me run through it real quick. Uh, last year, we gave it to... Uh, I mean, did, this is not necessarily a popularity contest. It's, we we did think this was the most innovative. Last year, we gave it to um, uh, the NCSoft game. What was it called? The, Master the MOBA? X Master. Master X Master, right? Obviously, the game shut down. I did think it was very innovative, though. The fact that you had a tag team style MOBA is really cool. This year, Survive By is a really interesting progression system where you progress by dying. So depending how strong you get in the game, like once you reach a higher level, depending how much gear you have, so depending on your level, your gear, and how much how far you progress in the game, after you die, you gain a, a currency in the game, and that currency can be used to summon like new, um, they're called legacies. They give you like passive stat buffs and different like abilities and stuff. And you, like, you kind of get those randomly. So if you want to get like really rare ones, you got to spend more points. And you can keep upgrading those as well. So every time you die, you get progressively stronger. But there's also like an element of RNG to it as well because you you don't know which legacies you're gonna unlock after you die when you like when you roll for them. So it's actually really really interesting. And I, there's a lot they can do with it because they can keep adding new legacies and different combinations of legacies with different classes in the game you can play differently. Because every time you die, you can play a different class as well. It's a really interesting system. I, I do hope they do more with it. The the content is really cool, but there just isn't that much in the game right now. And I'm really the, the, I'm really hoping they do, they do something different with it because it's a, it's a way of progression that we haven't seen anywhere else. And it's not quite like Realm of the Mad God. The core gameplay is, but in Realm of the Mad God, you know, it's, it's more permadeath. When you die, you die. Whereas in Survive By, death is just a core part of the game. 
death is a core part of the game. I like that. Mm -hmm. Yep. So we'll see. We'll uh, we'll see what's innovative this year. Next, oh, we got a Chaos Shield subscription. Eighteen months. Wow, year and a half. Oh, typical, typical, typical Chaos sneaking into Jeff for Final Fantasy fourteen in there in his subscription. Much love, Chaos. <laughs> we'll talk about fourteen. I understand a new uh, patch came out today, right? Or yesterday? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, well, so we'll talk about this that later. Two a.m. Two a.m. Well, okay, moving on along here. Best Battle Royale, we uh, gave it to Ring of Elysium. So remember, this is best that came out in 2018. Ring of yeah, Elysium is really nothing Tencent. else. It's free to play. It's a more realistic. So if you want an alternative to PUBG, but you don't, you know, Fortnite's too cartoony for you. Uh, Ring of Elysium is great, and it's, it manages to do a lot different. The way yeah. the map works is different. Um, the storm is an actual like a blizzard. It's an actual storm, and you freeze to death if you get caught in it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's not like a blue field that just kills you, like. Uh, there's some lore behind it, which I like. Um, there's a little bit of class selection. You can, you can get skis or like this glider or yeah. uh, these like rock climbing gear, and you can actually that actually changes how you want to navigate the world. Uh, it's a great game. Yeah, uh, I agree. I have like I have like 25 hours in it already, and I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. I actually I love the fact that you don't just auto win at the end when you're the last one standing. Yeah. It's actually uh, internal lore mechanic around how you win. So what happens is. A helicopter comes to save you, but it's only like a certain number of four seats. seats. On the, four seats on the helicopter, right? Because you know, and a helicopter can't carry that many people. So if you climb up the rope ladder into the helicopter, you win. Uh, so it's, it's it's you don't just the game doesn't just freeze when you're the last one left, and then okay, you just magically win, which I always thought was silly in, in uh, the other games. Mm -hmm. And of course, you get shot up while climbing the rope ladder if there's other teams still remaining, and it, you can just try to yolo, go for it. You can put some smoke grenades. As long as one person in your team makes it there, you win, though. But it, it's interesting because it creates a little bit of dynamic at the end, whether you want to all camp or just yolo for it, and maybe wait till two teams to fight each other, and the third team can try sneaking up the ladder. It's fun. Yeah, and I, I cannot... Um, i got to state it again. The fact that it was a Chinese company that kind of put this emphasis on the lore around the world, it's such a small thing, but it makes so much sense, and I think it makes it a more complete package, and it shows that you care. Right, you know, you get you get saved by a helicopter. There's an actual blizzard coming to freeze you. It's not just like this weird, disconnected features uh, like in PUBG and Fortnite. All right, next most disappointing. This was a toss-up between two titles, uh, but we gave it to Bless. Bless, uh, and the reason we gave it to Bless is because Bless cock teased us for longer. As we mm -hmm. know, Atlas kind of just came out of nowhere and said, "Hey, give us twenty-five dollars. We got this amazing game." Two weeks later, just kidding, it sucks. Or at least it was quick. <laughs> but Bless, they cock teased us for years, you know. And they told us they got this new action combat system. They're going, they're going to revamp the game. They're going to fix the optimization. They got all this new stuff coming. It's going to be great. And then what do they do? They launch with less classes than they had already ready. Like it's not like on the Russian version. Yes, the yeah, Mystic class is still not out today. They intentionally pulled content. They they, they lowered the max level cap. I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so and, and launched like buggy as hell, crappy as hell. Yeah, uncomplete. And they just, promised they would fix the one problem that made the game literally unplayable. The optimization issues existed at launch, and they existed for such a long time. And that was the reason not to play Bless. It was a hot mess because of how poorly it ran. And do you remember the Russian version at least had dungeons that required a, a group to do? And then yeah. when the Western one launched, anybody, everyone could just solo the dungeons over and over again. Like It was really cringeworthy. In fact, I made a video pointing out specifically because I remember when we ran the dungeons in the, in the Russian version, it was fun. We died on the first boss of the first dungeon in Bless multiple times. After the third try, I think we got it. Whereas in the in the... English version that Neo was launched, it was it was a joke. It was an absolute. You can solo the dungeons, and we didn't die at all. We could walk past every trap, get hit by every enemy. It's completely brain turned off content, and it was really fun because the early content was challenging. 
in the Russian version, which, which is awesome. You never see that anymore. And that alone made the game different. You know, having brain dead easy content early on is, is like the default mode for MMORPG. So having something a little bit different was awesome. And I actually really like the difficulty of the Russian version of Bless. And I cannot believe they did that. Like they went from a version, like the, the Russian version we played, it had issues. Like we complained about the optimization, but we did have fun in the dungeons, right? And to go from that and promising us to make it better, to make it worse, like less content, just as laggy, and everything is dead easy. It's a huge disappointment, huge joke, huge scam. Uh, so that they get our uh, reward for most disappointing. All right, next, Indeed. mobile game of the year, old school RuneScape. So uh, this game got the thing for a few reasons. One, uh, Jagex is still committed to the game, even all these years later. It get, it's getting better and better. Uh, they actually have more subscribers now than ever before. They have a million paid subscriptions. And so not only great. paid subscribers, they have the highest ever monthly active users for RuneScape. RuneScape is at the absolute top of its game. It's never been more popular than it is today. And mobile has actually helped boost the game's numbers quite a bit, which is awesome because we are seeing people play RuneScape on mobile that previously probably never played RuneScape. Obviously, a lot of veterans are playing on mobile as well, but the mobile launch pushed them to an all-time high, meaning new players are being exposed to RuneScape for the first time. And it's showing people that if you make a real MMORPG and not an autoplay nonsense game, there is a market for it. And RuneScape proves that on mobile. Yep. And also, what I, like the, I like the fact that it's a cross-platform port. So it's not like so many of these uh, MMORPGs, they, they make a mobile version. But like you said, it's a totally different game. It's just autoplay. It's a single-player game, basically. Like, like all these. Mm -hmm. So the fact that this was a cross-platform, free-to-play, you know, free-to-start at least, uh, mm -hmm. game, uh, easy, easy win. And I really hope this trend continues, whether it's MMOs or other genres, like Fortnite even, as a multi-platform, cross-platform yeah. mobile version. So I'm hoping mm -hmm. mobile eventually does... You know, become worth playing only when uh, it does have cross-play with console and PC. That way you can yeah. just play any game anywhere you want. All right, that's it. Those are our games of the year. Nothing too exciting there. Uh, but yeah, there it is. Let us know if you yeah. agree, disagree. Yeah, let's get to the weekly raid, actually, because I'm, I'm a bit passionate about this because Final Fantasy XIV added one thing in the game that I really liked. And I've been really... and I've read a lot about Ragnarok Mobile lately, and I wrote a few articles on Mobile.com about it. And it has a few features that I really like, as it the original Ragnarok Online. So, introduce the weekly raid. I'm pretty passionate about this discussion. Sure. So, let me quickly frame this. So, the weekly raid is how can MMOs keep players online longer? And we've they've all tr they've all um, added features that try to encourage this in in very subtle ways in the past. I know Ultima Online has something called Power Hour. So, the first hour of the day, you get increased skill gain. WoW really took it to I think the next level with Daily Quest, which I think came out with the first expansion, mm -hmm. uh, where every day you log in and you just redo the same quest. So it gives you a reason to log in every day. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think mobile games and browser games took this to the next level where there's just a litany of like daily login bonus, weekly login bonus, daily tasks. Yes. And that became kind of the default. And it seems like everyone's copied that now. So whether you're playing a MOBA uh, or Hearthstone, like a card game or MMORPG, everyone's kind of copied that mold. And I, I feel like it's getting a little stale. So hopefully there are some different things you can do, like achievements. Um, these long open-ended achievements you, people can do, like 100% map completion. Like in Guild Wars 2, there's a lot of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. that keeps players going. Uh, but I know you have some interesting ideas. Right. On what I, I am very passionate about this topic because I love playing like MMORPGs. And if I find a game I enjoy, like Final Fantasy 14 right now, I love being in that game. And like in the truest sense, like it's a very, like maybe it's a weird look at MMORPGs, but I like being in that world, right? And just doing stuff in that world. When I have weeklies to do in the game, when I have something to do in the game, I'm, I'm happy. I'm excited to do that content, right? When there's nothing to do, like there's no reason to log in, I don't log in. So I want a reason to stay logged into the game. 
And the Final Fantasy XIV does a lot of little things correctly. I remember a, at least a month or two ago, I, I complained a lot about the Eureka content in the game, which is mind-numbingly boring, right? Mind-numbingly pointless and boring. However, I think it's in a way, I think it's a good content in the game because it gives players something else to do, another check mark to check off their list, right? It's generally pretty boring and repetitive, and I'm going to say not fun, but it gives you something to do. If you're the person that wants to be a completionist, you want to unlock. And I think by doing all the Eureka content, you can unlock uh, like a, a special weapon. Your um. Your, your your relic weapon in the game, which just looks really pretty, right? And it's really strong. So it gives you something to strive for. But more importantly, obviously, obviously the kind that was more interesting would be better. But in this last patch that came out this morning, they added a, a Mahjong to the game. So in the Gold Saucer now, you can play Mahjong, which is a, it's, it's, it's a game with four players, right? You can actually... What's more interesting, though, is you can actually... They added a ranked Mahjong queue system to Final Fantasy XIV which you would think doesn't really belong in Final Fantasy XIV, but you can queue for ranked play in a car, in, in, a, in, a, in Mahjong in Final Fantasy XIV, which I think is awesome. And I think more games need to add other stuff to do in the game. I remember when we first played uh, on the Ultima Line private server, uh, it was called UO Power Gamers. I still remember the name. They added a, a, a Texas Hold'em to, to uh, Ultima Online where you can play with your in-game currency, and it was really fun. There was another reason to stay logged into the game. Now, Mahjong is a complicated game, and I, I know the very basics of the game. I've played it before. But just having that in the game as another thing to do, I think is phenomenal. Because you can just hang out in the game with your friends and play Mahjong, do you know random, do the content as well. But I think more importantly, games need to add other reasons to keep playing the game. For example, in Final Fantasy XIV, and practically every MMORPG today, once you do your weekly clears, once you're done with the content for the week, you typically log off and don't play till next week, especially like when you're at the end of the, the patch where there's nothing else to do. So you just, you're just grinding your gear, rolling on gear, hoping to get it. If you don't get it, you just you log off and you wait till next patch or next, the next, you know, next reset actually. But imagine in Final Fantasy 14 or World of Warcraft where when you kill a bo- World of Warcraft actually does this a lot better. And I think it's one of the reasons why World of Warcraft is more successful. Because uh, World of Warcraft has like mounts that drop very rarely. But imagine Final Fantasy 14 that when you beat a boss, a savage boss or any boss in the game, rather, it has a one in ten thousand chance to drop a, a special mount or a special minion. People would be farming that content regularly. So if you just have downtime, and you just want to you just, just want to play the game. You have a reason to log in and just just grind this boss, maybe to get a chance to get this card, to, to get the mount in the game. And this this idea kind of stems from Ragnarok Online because that game actually does this system very well. Every monster in Ragnarok Online has a chance to drop their card. In Ragnarok Online, it's 001 percent chance, which is one in ten thousand. And obviously, if you kill low-level enemies, you know the, the the pouring card is not very valuable, but it's still something. It's still like it's not trash, right? But because it's one in ten thousand. But the the MVP cards, the very the, the boss cards are very valuable because they're one in ten thousand. And killing a boss takes time. So in Final Fantasy fourteen, if you, I don't think I've killed a boss ten thousand times. Period. In Final Fantasy fourteen, if you had all the no times way. I've killed a boss, no way, no way, it's possible. Maybe I killed a thousand, maybe like five hundred times to a thousand, right? And I, I've done tons of parse runs in Final Fantasy fourteen where I'm just doing it over and over again for fun. But it would give players a reason to not only do boss fights, even like they could apply this to regular dungeons too, where in a dungeon, the, the final boss in a normal dungeon, which is easy content, has a very low chance to drop something. And when you see that in the game, holy shit, that guy's got the they got they got they got the drop from you know Chatternook, or you got they got the they got the Kefka mount or something, right? It would be it would be something, it'd be awesome to see that in the game. And it would encourage other players to do that. Like, like I actually want to do that kind of content. I want to keep playing the game. I want to keep killing bosses. And really, the only reason I find myself doing it is parsing in the game. Where I want to just measure my own score and get better. If I didn't have that, I just wouldn't do it. But if I could get the reward, I would love to do that. And games need to get way better at that. 
it reminds me of a topic we discussed previously, but I don't understand why WoW today doesn't allow you to right-click any other player's avatar or, you know, health bar. And it should be a button called Duel, which there is. And it should be one called Challenge to Hearthstone. And it literally yeah. just brings up a Hearthstone match. Because remember, both games are on the Blizzard launcher. Uh, so the other person, they can have like a preferred deck ready to go. And then, boom, you're just playing a game of Hearthstone. And it's, it's in there. Uh, it's so It would be so easy to do. It would be a great way to integrate the two games. Both the same, you know, world, you know, uh, WoW world. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy. But, I don't know, for whatever reason, they can't do it. And, uh, you know, I think World of Warcraft does a really good job with this. So somebody mentioned they Final Fantasy does that with, with minions already, but that's not true at all. There's like a 20% chance for this rare minion to drop. How on earth is 20% rare? Like, in what world is 20% drop rate rare? Yes, you have to get to the last boss of like an alliance raid to get this, some of these rare ones, which take a while to clear through, right? But 20% is not rare. If you remember World of Warcraft, you have to run Dire Maul a thousand times to get the the Ferrars Compendium of Dragon Slaying or some of these rare drops. And even even more recently in World of Warcraft, like there are there are mounts in WoW that drop one percent one percent of the time on a weekly lockout. That means you have one percent chance to get it every week. So on average, it'll take you a full year of running this dungeon. Obviously, you can run it solo, but I actually love that. And I think World of Warcraft does a phenomenal job with their with their collections for minions, with their battle pets with their amounts. I think it's one of the reasons people stay logged into the game. I know people that play like World of Warcraft like all day because there's a reason to play all day. There's always something to do. Whereas in Final Fantasy XIV, like there are, there are these periods where like, okay, I did all my weekly raids. There's literally nothing else for me to do. Like, why am I even in this game? Like, I like being in the game. I like doing cutie modes. I like my character. I like the world. I like just jumping around that game. It, it, it is fun to be in the game and play the game. But if there's no reason to play, if I have no, you know, carrots dangling in front of me and especially when it's like a really like a rare drop or something it, it, it's just fun to try getting i mean the game does have like the like some challenges like the eureka which i mentioned earlier but even like the palace of the dead or heaven and high there's the, the solo dungeons they're, they're dungeons that are meant for four players that if you do solo by yourself which takes like seven hours right if you did by yourself for seven hours and you get to the end you get a cool title which i think is awesome because it keeps players in the game though i think if it was a mount something more like real than just the title more people would be doing it there'd be more reason to play the game it just so quickly in MMORPGs, we run out of things to do. But, but it never has to be that way. And there's proof that these kind of things work. I mean, this, this kind of transitions really well to um, a story this week about, about Ragnarok Mobile. But before we get to that, Altai, what, what do you think? Is there anything else we can put in MMORPGs to get people playing longer? So my idea was like, copy the Final Fantasy. Like, Final Fantasy has a Mahjong thing now, which is awesome. But we need more stuff like that. Like, we mentioned this in the previous week too. With uh, Imagine Final Fantasy 14, if you, if you buy in the cash shop, you can buy Final Fantasy 1, where you put an arcade box in your house that when somebody goes to your house or you go to your house, you can play Final Fantasy 1 literally in Final Fantasy 14. And it saves your game and everything else too. Why not? Like, it I would think, feel more like a world that way. Yeah, I think MMORPGs in general, and especially the big ones like WoW, have uh, fumbled a great opportunity to be- have to become the background of your PC. So what I mean is yeah. like you're saying. So imagine, uh, I remember even Ultima Online, before the custom uh, poker thing, you could literally buy a chessboard from an NPC in Ultima Online back in 1998, and you could put it on the ground or a table, and two players could double-click it, and they could play a game of chess. It was very rudimentary because you could just cheat. You could just, the game didn't yeah. really keep track of how you played. But obviously since then, we could have, uh, for example, Final Fantasy XIV, you said the Mahjong thing. They could have the same yeah. thing for chess for all these different games. Yeah. Uh, it's it's so easy to put in there. And, there, and also you could have voice chat, voice channels like this. So instead of, when I'm on, when I'm on a computer right now, if I have nothing else to do, what I'll do is I'll bring up Discord on one monitor, and I'll bring up like a YouTube uh, Chrome window on another, right? And maybe Reddit mm-hmm. too. I'm just kind of sitting there looking at the shit. There is no reason why 
a game uh, like Final Fantasy fourteen or World of Warcraft, or I think Eve did this really well too for a while. There's no reason these things could not could not have been our background, right? So you just kind of mm-hmm. leave it on. Uh, you have a chat box with all your friends. You have I, I remember you actually had a browser window back in the day. They got rid of it now because everything is borderless window, so they don't really need it. But my my point is, you should have these MMORPGs should have so much stuff in them that you can just kind of bring up that you kind of have an incentive to always leave it on. And so that way you're always kind of interacting with it. And I think it applies, especially the casual players, I think is, is, is most people. Like, while I do a lot of hardcore content in Final Fantasy XIV, I enjoy just literally being in the game. Let me play. And, and Square Enix can literally have their entire library of old games as arcade cabinets you can sell separately. So you can play Final Fantasy 1, 2, 3, 4, whatever, in people's houses and stuff. It'd be really cool. Stuff like that. And like you said, with Ultima Online, we had this in Ultima Online. You could play backgammon, or chess in Ultima Online by literally putting a chess board in front of your character and two people can play the game. And I, people could just cheat, like my brother said, because there's no rules built in. But it was just cool that you could do that. And it gives you a reason to hang out in the game. And look, I, the thing is, even if I run the same content, repetitive content, just doing it is actually pretty fun. Like I like going through the mechanics. For some reason, just clicking the same buttons over and over again is actually pretty pleasing for me for some reason. I like doing it. So give me a reason to do it and give me a reason to keep doing it. Like, because if I'm not playing Final Fantasy 14, I'm playing a different game. Like, keep me in your game longer. No, MMORPGs aren't just about, you know, the core gameplay. It's about the world. And they never developed that well enough. It's just so sad that they missed out on all these opportunities to do it. And no game has even really tried since, like, even Ultima Online. Like, nobody, like you said, why doesn't World of Warcraft let you play Hearthstone in the game? Right-click a player, hit play Hearthstone, and it just launched in the game, and you can play it that way. It'd be so cool, because while you're waiting for other players to come meet up, waiting for a friend or somebody's AFK, somebody got DC'd, yeah, you regularly play Hearthstone. Or Why can't ra- we do this? Like downtime in a raid, you could just challenge your, you know, people in the raid with you. Yeah, it, it's it's awesome. Like even, even if I was forty, I still want. To, I'll play Triple Triad. It's a card game built to the game. Like in between stuff, because why not? It's fun. It's something for you to do right then and there. And the Mahjong is a nice little system. And if they can, they can. I think I think they can tweak the gameplay today. To enhance the, like, I would love Final Fantasy 14 so much if we just had some of those rare drops in the boss fights for not just have all the boss fights. It'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, but okay. One problem I have is one. Well, technical issue is remember these games that we're mentioning are very old. Whether it's WoW, mm-hmm. Final Fantasy 14, I just don't think uh, anything we're saying can really be. Hold on, having adding adding a drop to a boss at a point one point zero one percent chance is very is, is not difficult. Yes, you have to maybe design a new mount, or even you can just make that. Like every boss can have a mount version of themselves that just drops right then and there. Uh, or, or even easier, forget that. Mounts are difficult. You have to at least program them right. You have animations, right? Uh, a minion version. So minions in Final Fantasy 14 are literally just pets. They just follow you around. And they look like exactly like you could drop a minion version of itself. And the minion doesn't do anything, it's just there to look cool. If they had a minion drop at, at, at a 1 in 10,000 chance. That's not difficult to implement. They can implement that oh, overnight. Sure. I think. That, yeah, like, yeah, WoW has, that, has a mount thing. You could put that. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I don't see the point of that, but it doesn't hurt me. So having it there uh, is whatever. I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I'm not interested. I, I I have no interest in farming. Uh, I would love it. Amount when I have one shot at this boss every week. No, be, because because no, you would look forward to just trying it. Like why no, not? Let, we're not, not doing anything right now. Let's go play. It'll be fun. No, it, what, remember it's no. It's like it's like some old dated content with no challenge. Like in WoW. It would give you no. no hold on. It will give you a reason to do the old content as well. Maybe they can make it so you have to do the content synced. So if you're doing like level fifty oh. content, level sixty content, it, it makes you level sixty. So you gotta do it. I think there's a lot of value in that kind of old sync content. So imagine like WoW, where or and every time you do a dungeon, you get geared down to the specs of that of that yeah. patch. Some games do that. FF14 does that, but nobody nobody runs 
you know that in that format, which I think because there's no need well, to because you it should, it shouldn't give you an option. It should, you, there, be, there should be no other way to run it. Well, they do that for ultimate content. So if you want to run old ultimate content, it will always sync you down. There's no way to do it in any other way but being synced down. I, I Whereas think, people, yeah. I mean, imagine like, all these old right now in WoW. I'm sure it's the same Final Fantasy. There, there are dungeons, old dungeons yeah, that like a priest, like a healer, can just solo like a, a 40 man raid boss, right? It just, what's mm-hmm. a, and then and then they can do it once a week for like a boss, like with a one, yeah, for like a mount, or a chance at a mount. I I don't see the mm-hmm. point of that. Like if, if, if there's no challenge and just a time kill, I don't know. I don't see the point. Well, it, 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 well, it would be some of them would be no challenge. Some of them would be just like the regular dungeons. But obviously, the savage content would still be somewhat challenging. Yeah, and I, maybe for the for the previous tier content, you, it has to be synced to make it count. Yeah, yeah. I think if you or what they could do is if if you sync it, it goes from point one to like five percent or one percent. Or yeah, it's whatever. So it's another low number. Yeah, but and if you want to do it unsynced, you can just gamble and solo it and get point one chance. It's that this actually bodes well to Ragnarok Mobile. Ragnarok got eternal love. So there's a really interesting story about this game that came out. I mean, the game launched its auction house actually, I think, two weeks ago now. So Ragnarok, for those that are not familiar, it's a mobile Ragnarok game that's launching in English in North America tomorrow. I thought it was going to launch today as of this you know podcast, but you can download the game today, but you can't play till tomorrow. So I actually downloaded it. So in this game. In the game's auction house, an item sold for about $60,000. Because the, the, you can see the key of heaven. It's over 360,000 BCC coins. And the exchange ratio is about 1 to 6. But there are promotional stuff. So the total number is probably closer to 40,000 or 45,000. But regardless, there's an item in the game that's sold in a player auction house for about 45 to 60,000 US dollars, which I think is mind blowing. And the reason these items sell for so much is because they're so rare in the game. It is amazing. It's absolutely nuts. I was actually and, hoping to have this game running in a small window on uh, the computer while we mm-hmm. did the podcast this week. But like you said, it's not actually coming out today. It's coming out tomorrow. So, mm-hmm. so and keep in mind, these, this key of heaven in this picture you're seeing, it wasn't actually, these items aren't sold by the developer themselves. So it's like the cash shop is coming and being like, look at all these OP items in the game, right? Because if you played Ragnarok, you know how OP uh, cards were, for example. So you can see that there's actually a, a golden thief bug card sold for. 110,000 BCC, which comes out to like uh, 18,000 US dollars for a single card. So the way cards work in Ragnarok is you can equip them to your slotted items, your weapons and stuff, and it gives you stats. So they're obviously gameplay altering, but it's not like the game's cash shop was selling these items directly. Other players were able to farm these items and sell them in the cash shop. And obviously the odds of dropping a golden, uh, you know, a golden thief bug is extremely low. If it's anything like PC Ragnarok Online, it's one in 10,000. So these items are so incredibly rare that people have been farming them like crazy and they have so much value. People are willing to pay tens of thousands of dollars in-game mounts and pets. And I, I do, even though you can pay for power indirectly, I actually love that the Gravity itself, the company that makes the game, isn't selling it directly. And I'm more okay with a cash shop where items like this can change hands for premium currency that you're buying from other players, which I think is a much more fair approach. Yeah, that's true. Uh, I've always been a fan of auction houses and MOs. Uh, hmm. I, I'm, I'm interested. It's interesting that there is so much demand for these high-ticket items in a mobile game. Uh, mm-hmm. I read the Reddit post a little, and I have no clue if this is correct or not. But apparently, this guy who's been buying these expensive items, he is like a known whale in multiple uh, mobile uh, MMOs. He's like some rich person who just really dumps a lot of money in all these games. Yeah. Well, the thing is, too, I mean, for the price to get this high, I mean, this 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 rich person that bought this is clearly bidding against other rich players that want to buy these items too. So these are like market prices for these goods, and it's not just one item that sold for this crazy price. You know, you can see a lot, like multiple items in the last week sold for like over five thousand dollars. 
there's been like dozens of items that sold for over five thousand US, which is absolutely nuts. I mean, it, it seems crazy that you can make this kind of like this also tells me that this actually gives me a little bit of hope. Okay, that some mobile games will get better. And hear me out here, because it sounds kind of wonky. But instead of developers selling pay to win, which is such a easy way for developers to make money and a very lucrative way that works in mobile games, right? Imagine they instead design a fair game in a fair cash shop with no pay to win. However, there's a real money auction house where you can buy in-game items from other players for premium currency. So when people find really rare items and really powerful weapons, they can still be really powerful stuff in the game and it can be obtained through gameplay. You can sell it to other players for cash shop currency like Ragnarok is doing. And if they do this, the person that bought this item had to buy 60,000 US dollars worth of premium currency in order to buy it. So the game developer made a ton of money despite not directly selling pay to win themselves. I think most players will be more okay with this system. I I, I know I am. I know for a fact if a game has no pay to win in the cash shop, but people can pay real money to other players to boost them and other stuff, it doesn't bother me one bit. If somebody in in World of Warcraft or Final Fantasy XIV or any more PG, if somebody pays money for somebody to carry them, I don't care. That's fair. That's free game. But if they can pay money to get the best weapon in the game, the best gear in the game directly from Blizzard, that's bullshit. I don't like that. But if they're willing to pay other people to run them through content, or they're willing to, you know, maybe if there's buying that equip, buying for for US dollars even, or tons of in-game currency with the game's uh, token system, that's all fair game in my eyes. Because it's all within the game. That's all fair. And I think most people view it that way too. If that system makes sense from a business standpoint, the quality of games we get, I think, will be a lot better. It'll take away the incentive to, for developers to make really shitty pay-to-win games and instead just encourage a fair game where rare items will be valuable and people will be willing to pay cash out for them. So I'm curious, though, in that ideal scenario you, you plotted there, would the mm-hmm. premium currency do anything besides be used in the auction house? Yeah, yeah. They, they could still sell like uh, like some other uh, cosmetic stuff maybe with it. What about like- But ultimately, you, you will not be able to withdraw for USD. Because you cannot withdraw in Ragnar game, obviously. The guy who bought the guy who you know bought this item, the guy who sold it is left with like fifty thousand dollars worth of in-game currency, right? He can probably still find a way to sell it and cash out US dollars through third-party exchanges where you know maybe he'll bid on items for other players and give it to them for you for, for them to wire US dollars outside the game. There'll be ways to do that, but for the developer, I, I don't see why they would they, they, they wouldn't want a way to leak it out. Right. Well, as far as I know in Ragnarok, the premium currency does have like actual pay to win. Uh, okay, that's not good. Like, uh, you know, whether it's experience boost, all this elite status or whatever. Well, experience boost and stuff, I think, are, are, aren't really that bad. I mean, you, you can find ways to have, like, like when I say pay to win mobile games, like, usually they'll sell, like, the best gear in the game right in the cash shop or, like, just really stupidly powerful stuff. Like, you can still have, like, the typical free to play cash shop stuff without, you know, you, you wouldn't have to go to ham with it when you can have a system that monetizes it this way, is what I'm trying to get at. Or even, honestly, if there's a way to even cash it out, that still works, I think. If, if all it serves is a real money auction house, and there's a way for them to take like a fat transaction fee. Like when you want to withdraw, there's like a thirty percent transaction fee, and they make like for this one item that you know they can make like eighteen thousand dollars profit. Like the game will sustain itself, and I think it's a much fairer business model than just a traditional mobile MRPG. Well, this is interesting. So someone in chat just mentioned that this mount, the Key of Heaven, mm-hmm. it was actually an event. So the GM sold it. So the game developers sold it. All right, that's that, that that's worse. But look for the example with all the other items. There's been like at least right. there's been dozens of items sold. For cash for like over ten thousand dollars that dropped from players. I wasn't familiar with the key of heaven, but the, the cards, for example, were sold by other players. I don't think that the developers should ever sell like these OPIs in the cash shop themselves like that. You know what the I find cards are definitely legit. It's kind of a little bit of a tangent, but I remember um, the developer behind Dark Age of Camelot. I read years mm-hmm. ago that he he hated like RMT, right? He hated the fact that 
does money mm-hmm. going in and out of the system. He mm-hmm. thought it should just be like a monthly subscription and that's it. No other money involved in the world. Mm-hmm. And I want to compare his attitude, and I think this was at the time, this was the attitude of many Western developers versus the attitude of Eastern developers, specifically China or Japan. They are not interested in making a game that's good or a fair or whatever. They're interested mm-hmm. in maximum extraction ability yeah. of cash from players. And it's just mm-hmm. an interesting dynamic between the two philosophies. And, and it's obvious now with the uh, you know companies like EA and Activision copying the Eastern method and in which method is going to win at the end of the day. I think so long as we get something where we could, they can milk the whales without ruining the gameplay experience for everyone else, I think it'll be fine. Again, any game that has some kind of auction house where they can get a skim a cut of, the, of these crazy big transactions, that would be the ideal system for mobile games in my mind. But it is crazy to think that, you know, back in the day, you pay fifteen dollars a month, or you pay uh, you buy a game for fifty, sixty bucks. You get everything, right? Now, that's never going to happen again. Like, besides indie games and some very niche titles, like that that business model's out. You know, you'll always be nickel and dime. There'll always be extra stuff to buy. There'll always be microtransactions because why not? They can get away with it. I think and if it's the, done well, it's fine. I, I don't think it's fine, and I and I, and I think it's just uh, it's a, it's a kind of like a matter of fact. Um, I really think the the first generation of game developers here in the West. And MMORPG developers, they saw themselves as dungeon masters, right? When you go, imagine you sign up with your friends to go play D and D at somebody's basement, right? Mm-hmm. The dungeon master is somebody who wants to have fun telling a story that involves the players, right? And I really think a lot of these OG MMO developers started; they probably were themselves dungeon masters, right, when they were younger, and mm-hmm. they approached game design and game development as making this kind of digital D and D game between themselves and the players. Whereas the Eastern companies, their mindset from the start was three-card Monty. That, that is where they, like, their idea for the game was to make money off players. There was no craft. Like, there was no, how can, how can I engage the players, and, but we both have fun telling a story. It was, how do I extract money from these players? I don't think it's entirely fair. I think for the most part, for both Eastern and Western, the people who you know, designed the game aren't the ones in charge of monetizing the game. Like, after the I, game is made, I they'll find... They'll, I dig dis- a tweet, oh, I disagree with you. Made, they'll tweak it. They'll I tweak it after it's made. I disagree with that. I think in, in uh, the West... And I, I actually watched this thing about uh, journalists, actually. And in the old school newsrooms, the ad men, the businessmen, who run the like, ads for the newspaper, were mm-hmm. not allowed in the same room as the journalists, as the writers. Interesting. Because they wanted to... Even internally, they wanted to keep a barrier between journalists and the ad men, right? The money side. Whereas mm-hmm. if you look at today, I, I know people, you know, we write articles. I know people who write articles for, for bigger websites. And the, the writer himself is told, okay, include Amazon affiliate links. Include paid, you know, links. Like, there's this whole articles now that are like five best, you know, gizmos for your kitchen. And it's written by the same guy who's writing news articles. So this blo- there's, there's been, monetized, monetized right. yeah, of course. And I, at BuzzFeed or whatever, all these big sites. The, the, the line between the ad side, the money side, and the content side has basically meshed. It's the same now. Like, there's no difference. If you are a writer today, you are also an ad man. And you're saying this applies to game, for the game development as well? Yes. Not quite the same way, but I, I see what you mean. I, I still think there's some separation, but not, not, not entirely. There, yeah, I agree there's some separation, but it's a holdover. And as, it's going to mm-hmm. keep colliding and mixing. Yeah. Rip. But, uh, I'm actually looking forward to playing Ragnarok M Eternal Love. Hopefully I can farm hopefully I can get really lucky and get one of those OP cards and can sell it for thousands of dollars. That'd be awesome. I'm actually looking forward to playing it for that reason. And I think 
if they can implement cards like this and other MRPGs where like one in ten thousand chance of drop, I, th- I think it'd just be really cool. Just something to strive for. I mean, one of the mo- I think we've both men- mentioned like some of the most memorable you know things we've seen in MRPGs is seeing something so special in the game, like Jedi and Star Wars: Old Republic. You know, you saw a Jedi in the game that was a badass thing to do because it was really rare. Or you see somebody in like Ultima Online with like this 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 epic like like cosmetic that, you, you, that only exists in the event. You can you, there's only like two in the entire game. You know, if you see stuff like that. It, it's like it's just a really memorable and cool thing to like strive for. You want everyone wants to like be known for something, and if you can, you know, have something really rare in the game. Obviously, most people will never get it, but the beauty of that system is the idea that wanting it is actually greater than having it. Because I think if you actually end up getting that really rare cosmetic, you won't really be that happy. It'd be more fun trying to strive to get it than actually having it. That's true. And, and speaking of which, it might apply to Ragnarok Mobile itself because, like you, I'm actually I was actually looking forward to playing it today. Because I was, mm-hmm. you know, for the last month, I thought it was coming out today. Me too. So you've actually played the Chinese version. I should probably play a video of that. Yeah. Or the, East, uh, the Southeast Asian version, right? Mm-hmm. It's got the autoplay, like traditional, you know, mobile and more pieces. But it looks beautiful. It look, I mean, if you played Ragnarok, I mean, we both played Ragnarok Online. Yeah. It, it, it does stay true to, like, the look and feel of Ragnarok. Hey, but guys. obviously with, with autoplay. I mean, it's got all the same characters. I think this version was, was developed by a Chinese company that... uh. The, the 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 guy who the lead designer for this game I remember he was a hardcore Ragnarok online player so a lot of that still is in the game and it's it's actually a very successful game too I mean, this is actually the game that saved Gravity I mean Gravity was doing really poorly as a company I mean they were they were like not quite near bankrupt but like they were doing really poorly but now they're they're, they're booming this game is selling so well now in uh, in Southeast Asia China Japan and it's finally launching in English in North America I'm not sure if it'll, it'll be the same you know, if it'll be in Europe or not but I'm hoping it'll do well and I'm I'm looking forward to trying it I mean. As much as you know, I don't really play mobile games. I always try. I, I at least try them. I mean, my brother played more uh, De- Destiny Child than I did. He's like in the last last bit of the game. But I'm looking forward to playing this one because this at least is an MMORPG. Right from the get, you see other players in the world too. But when you play a, a traditional gacha game, whether it's you know FGO, whether it's you know Destiny Child, you don't really see other players. You know, and even MMORPGs like that, that build themselves as MMORPGs, like Heroes of Incredible Tales, like instant space, stage base. This is a more traditional. You know, MMORPG, you see other players in a persistent world. So for that reason, too, I'm kind of hyped to try this one. Yeah, and yeah, you are correct, someone in chat, that there is a playable English version already, but that version is in Southeast Asia. So if you can just yeah, wait one more day, guys, uh, the global English launch will be upon us. And you know what's interesting? Even hmm. I believe the main site, which I believe is this one here, is hmm. actually uh, advertising the PC emulators. Because yeah. they realize that a lot of their players might come from people who just want to play on PC. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, really funny because it's such an easy thing to add. But mm-hmm. why couldn't Blizzard, during that spectacular BlizzCon moment, when the guy in the audience asked, hey, can we play this on PC or is it mobile only? All he had to instead of saying, don't you have a phone or you got phones, don't you? All he had to say was, yes, we are working with our partner, NetEase, to, ma- to make it available on PC through emulators or something. Why and it'd be optimized for PC through emulators. That's all he had to say. Like, you know, we're going to yeah. work to make this game run well on PC. That's all he had to say. And it would have avoided so much of the blowback they got. Exactly. I uh, mean, and the game would still be the same game, you know, but yeah. it, it would, it would, you know, at least not be insulting their players. Yep. Uh, so it's an easy, like, that's an easy thing they could have done. Um, mm-hmm. And obviously, I think uh, Tencent or Gravity, whoever's behind this, is okay with that. They don't care what, what platform you played on. <laughs> I mean, I'm, honestly, why should they care? As long as you're playing the game, you know, like even Arena Valor, the, or the, in China, it's available on you know emulators as well. They say you want that on PC, iOS, Android, whatever, you, or PC. And the PC version is just an Android version, and it works really well. And and why not? And actually, I have I have a lot of friends that play uh like mobile games on the PC. They have it on their phone as well, but while they're on the PC, they have it running and they're just playing in the background. 
because why not? I think a lot more people would actually play these mobile games in the background while they're playing other stuff because in a way, a lot of these games are kind of cookie, cookie cooker or those autoplay games. And those kind of games are fun. So I think for a lot of people that don't even that don't like mobile games, they might even like it playing on the PC because they can play it like an auto clicker game or a cookie clicker style game. Yep. And I, I actually am surprised. Uh, if, for those of you who have the um, Battle.net launcher, you have noticed now that they've added a section for Activision games. Because they have Destiny 2 and Call of Duty. Mm-hmm. I am so surprised there is not a section for King yet. Because Activision Blizzard also owns King, which makes mm-hmm. Candy Crush. Imagine a button on the Battle.net launcher that says King, and then under it is mm-hmm. Candy Crush Saga. I know everyone would bitch, right? Yeah. The Reddit would go crazy. Oh, they're putting mobile games on Battle.net. But here's a funny part. People would click that, and they would they would play it, and, and some of them would pay. Definitely. Yeah. Makes sense. And I am actually hyped to play this Ragnar game. Look at the video in the background, too. Like, I'm obviously nostalgic for Ragnarok Online as well. I mean, the auto-playing elements are not exciting, but the fact that I played so much Ragnarok Online on the PC, like, just seeing these graphics again, seeing this world again, has me kind of excited to have, like... I'm looking forward to having this running on, on my other monitor on auto-play mode on the emulator, right? I am hyped for that. That's right, yeah. I'm, actually, I'm mainly interested in playing it on emulator myself, so mm-hmm. tomorrow we can start grinding. Yeah, I, I, I was sad to see it's launching tomorrow. I was hyped to play. I have a little bit of a controversy before we get into the Overwatch stuff. Okay. So I read this uh, earlier this week. In Japan, they've made it now criminal, illegal law, criminal law, to change the save states in your games on consoles. What? Yeah. What? I never heard that. Yeah, this happened in Japan. Uh, It's illegal to to distribute programs that help you save your save editors, they're called. Mm -hmm. Uh, So hold on. Let me just help help other people understand too. So if I'm playing Persona 5... Yeah, and I have my save file on my PS4. Yeah, and I and I actually I, I send my you save file to somebody. Somehow. Else. Yeah, yeah, I send it to somebody else so he can load my file, right? No, no, you can. Uh, well, presumably, you would need some kind of third-party software to extract the save, wouldn't you? Y- y- probably. That's so let's say I extract I extract my my save file and I send it to somebody else somehow. Well, the the program that's used to do that, it's distributing that would be illegal. Okay. So so they're not necessarily against you. that. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, but obviously it'd be impossible to you know to go after that level. But the save editors, uh, distributing save editors for consoles is now illegal in Japan, and so is reselling game keys. So even if I pay full price for a game key at like 7-Eleven or whatever, I cannot resell that now. That's really weird. But I think the reason they did that is trying to fight uh, you know, regional pricing, right? That has to be the only reason. Otherwise, they don't really care if you pay full price to sell to somebody else in Japan, you know? If you buy a game in Japan, you sell to Japan, it's fine. But I think what people are doing and why you know, G2A exists is people are taking advantage of regional pricing, where a game is like $5 in one area and $10 somewhere else. What happens is people in, in like Russia right, buy the game for five dollars. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. It, only when the developer or publisher is against the, mm-hmm. you know, the resale. But I. But no, okay. So people are saying what's well, bullshit. It's his opinion. I don't know. If I was a developer or publisher, why wouldn't I just say, okay, guess what? Any reselling is unauthorized. You're basically giving the power of the law to the developer, right? Yeah. So imagine I'm Blizzard and you buy my key for fifty bucks in America and you want to sell it to your friend for forty bucks because you don't want it anymore. I could just say, nah, all transfers are illegal. All right, I I don't authorize any transfers, and now that's law. So yes, they're doing this to fight regional pricing, right? And third-party mm-hmm. websites. It's giving power to Blizzard and other developers when they shouldn't have that power. Is what you're trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, for now it's going to be used, I think, for just this kind of mismatch pricing and stuff, or stolen keys mm-hmm. or whatever. But there's nothing to say that in the future the developer will just say, "Nah, no resale." Only. But I this is it. ultimately one of those things where nothing's going to get enforced. Come on, like there's no way anyone's going to follow this or even know, like how to follow this or enforce this. You know, I buy a key from a developer. I sell it to my friend for 20 bucks. 
there's, there's who's gonna how could they possibly find out without literally hiring detectives and like spending millions of dollars tracking me down uh, wiretapping my house they're never, they're, they're never gonna find out well the reselling part probably not but i think the the save editing part is a big sure that, that part is better because yeah, you can find the people who make the software yeah but how I, it's just, yeah. I think it's a bad precedent i don't know why they care if i want to change my save in a, in a single player game or like mod it basically that, that part does seem really odd maybe yeah, maybe maybe some modding stuff i don't know because if it's just a save file that seems completely harmless there's, there's no victim there well i guess the victim is you i don't know you skip the content or i don't know but you bought the game anyway, so who cares? And a related story in Japan, let's say I buy a SNES, like a used, okay, and a, mm-hmm. and, a, and a used game, and I have like a bar or a restaurant. I can't mm-hmm. hook up a TV and let you play at the bar or restaurant without because you need know, a uh, public license, kind of like the radio here. Yeah. So it's also illegal in Japan, and they're trying, you know, they're coming after people who have like uh, multiple consoles mm-hmm. set up like this. Like this, this is illegal in Japan, right here, boys. You can't have. Mm-hmm. Just a bunch of consoles and TV set up for people to play on. Mm-hmm. All right, that was it. Just wanted to bring that up. All right, let's get to the let's get to the Overwatch thing. Uh, let's get the one of them out of the way real quick. Out uh, Soldier seventy six is gay now, uh, and it's it's canon. It's lore canon. I don't think that's really a controversy. Like, who cares? I know some people feel are, we're saying like, um, oh, it feels so forced. Which, uh, I mean, I don't think it's forced. Who cares? How how could I, I? I don't get that that standard. It feels forced. How could it not be like? How is it forced? How could they have done it so it's not forced? I mean, he's, if he's gay, he's gay. You know, like, that's it. Like, uh, I don't understand the argument that it was forced. Uh, I don't really care if he's gay. I don't care if he's straight. I don't, I don't care what he is. But you know, they can make him gay for all he wants, and it, it doesn't. It's nothing. It's no, no, nothing. Nothing for me. So I don't really understand the outrage for him being gay. Well, let me okay. Let me play devil's advocate for a bit. I actually don't play Overwatch much, so I don't care personally. But yeah. I can see some reason for the outrage, and this is why. Why? Okay, so we already have a gay character in Overwatch, right? Yeah, we have uh, Tracer. Tracer. Now, what percent of the population right now is gay? 5%, right? Sure, something like that. So, of the Overwatch crew, now, if, if a higher than percent are gay than the overall population, that's actually discrimination against cis people, right? Because they're Hold not being on. equally Hold on. Uh, so in any group measured. That, that, that's bullshit, though, because... <laughs> Just because they're five percent doesn't mean they can't all be gay. You know, you can have a group of people; they're all gay, and or they're all like meeting a five percent. Well, you can also make them all straight. Why, why isn't Overwatch all straight? Well, then? Don't worry. The, the point is, you know, you, we've had plenty of games where they're all straight. They're all typical, you know, generic characters. And well, let's talk about Overwatch. Let's game. Sure, but like that—that's been the default for like forever. Mm-hmm. So I don't understand. Yes, you can say gay people, gays are overrepresented in Overwatch. That—that's yeah. a factual statement you can make. So you could say Overwatch is a gay group of people. <laughs> You're also wrong. You're also wrong because we don't know what percent of the population in the Overwatch lore is gay. You gave me the oh, U.S. Yeah, statistics. You're right. It's the future. You gave, it's the future. That's a lot of more soy in the future. So who knows what's going on with the hormones? Who knows? You can never know what's going on in the future. All right, more soy <laughs> up there. So e- even if you know the same. Percentage is U.S. It's such a non-issue, so I think most people don't really care either. No, Some I, people said it's forced, yeah, but I, 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 I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't get the force part though, because how else can you do it? Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, to the extent that they want to create this world, right? You mm-hmm. got, you need to flesh it out with stories, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, whatever. Like for example, in Counter Strike, there's all these different uh, outfits, right? Like, there's like the Elite Crew, the SAS, like all these different, like yeah. I don't know if they're, they're gay real or not, groups. but no one cares, right? <laughs> Yeah, because they're not real characters. It's not part of the. It's not part of the. They're not yeah. trying to build a lore in Counter Strike. Yeah. So and, and also, people that play Overwatch aren't going to know Tracer's gay or Soldier Seventy Six is gay because it's impossible to know that just by playing the game. the game. Yeah, as long as they keep that fair, I think it's fine. Yeah. If, yeah, in, the, it if in the back chapters they want to do this, um, I think it's. I think it's kind of pointless. Kind of really, like, uh, I don't see the value. Because uh, clearly, 
it was a conscious decision to make him gay, right? In the story, when the default would have been to just either make him not mention his sexual nature or make him straight, right? Mm. So it's, it's obviously a decision they made. Is it a good decision or bad decision? Uh, we're talking about it, so I guess it's a good decision, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. And, and to be honest, it, it, it kind of makes his character a little more interesting now. Before, Soldier 76 was this mysterious lone wolf soldier, right? Like, that is the most generic description of a character, you know, you can have for a soldier-like character. So whatever. If anything, it makes, I think it makes his character more interesting. Well, here's the problem, too. How gay can they go? So, okay, they, they announced Tracer was gay, I don't know, whatever, like a year ago, right? Yeah. So now imagine next year, uh, Winston's gay. <laughs> and then and then the next year okay. i don't know if they make every character gay yeah. then i agree it's kind of weird okay like yeah i mean yeah it'd be kind of odd if they make every single character gay now here's the conspiracy Omar, and then elon strife kind of preempted this the conspiracy is this was a reaction to the real controversy this week around I, overwatch we, let's 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 talk about the controversy but i can i don't believe for a second it's it's related because they actually planted the seeds for for soldier being gay in a much earlier um a comic I think in the same reveal, I think that maybe not the Tracer one, but there's an older comic where you you saw Soldier seventy six holding up the same picture that he held up in the current comic strip with Anna, where they talk about you know his feelings, his, you know his relation, previous relationship. So that was kind of planted there before. I mean, obviously you could say that was he was looking at like his old war buddy before, but now his old war buddy is his, you know his lover. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah. Also, remember if they, uh, uh, Elon Strife, you say the timing is too convenient, but I suspect these stories. Um, I take a lot longer to write, right? Yeah, they planned so, that I think for a while ago. I think it was planned out, you know, for months now, and then now they just released it. Um, you could say mm-hmm. maybe they preempt, they released it earlier, just to kind of like make it old news, the Ellie one, which, which I think, yeah. I think it's time. Why don't you give me the rundown, Mark? Because you, I think, you're more read on this than me. Okay, so professional. So there's there's a player called L in the Overwatch community, which is this was actually a really fascinating story to follow, and uh, I read the Kotaku piece as well about it. So what happened basically is a player called L, very high ranked player ended up joining a professional team. I think it was a, like an amateur team, actually. Not, not in the Overwatch League, but some other league, where they were announced as a member of the team. And unlike every other member of the team, like every team member had like, you know, their full their name, their in-game name, their last name. So like, you know, Omer, Remo, Altai would be like a member of the team. But L, who joined this, you know, this amateur team, still on the high end, basically just said L. They wouldn't give their first and last name. It was just L. And they were playing, for, they were going to play for this, uh, this team. And a lot of people started suspecting that, you know, why aren't they revealing their name? What's going on? Is this a girl? Are they? You know, it can't be a girl. Girls aren't good at video games. So a lot of people started to theorize, like, who could this be? And a lot of the pro players figured that it was going to be uh, some, some guy playing as this L character. So apparently L made a video uh, playing with a professional player sitting next to them. But, like, they weren't on the mic or anything. Some other, somebody else was on the mic. Like, they were playing, though. The stream was them playing. And... That was supposed to be proof, but obviously that, that, that's not really proof. There's no webcam. There's no like any actual confirmation. But and it and, and, and then Kotaku and then eventually everyone kept asking, "Who is L? Like, who is this person? Are they really a girl? Are they really I, a I girl?" I think it's Ellie, right? Not L. Ellie, Ellie, Ellie. Ellie from Death Note. You watch too much Death, Death Note, bro. Too much Death Note. My bad. It's 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 Ellie. Sorry, guys. Sorry, it's Ellie. <laughs> Sorry for the baka business. So eventually, it, it, everyone on Reddit was asking, "Who is this Ellie person?" People were kind of like harassing them on on Twitter, I'm sure, and in game. You know, and then eventually they said, you know what? I'm going to step away from this team. So they, they quit from the professional team they were on because they said they couldn't handle all the pressure. And what happened was Kotaku wrote an article, the Mary Sue wrote an article, a lot of, you know, typical you know, SJW websites, liberal leaning websites wrote an article saying that like 
just we, we finally had a woman on the top tiers of Overwatch in a professional gaming and in a, in a men dominated industry, and they got bullied and sexually harassed their way out of there. And in fact, I love this article on the MarySue.com where they talk about uh, they, they had a really fun paragraph here where they quoted somebody on Reddit. Said, and the quote was, a handful of other Overwatch pros even got involved with Atlanta Rain player Daniel Defron, Francesca, speculating during a stream that someone is playing on this account and Ellie is talking right beside them. And they said, listen, Defron, I know this might blow your mind, but not everybody has so much investment in the video game Overwatch that they're out to pull off a gender long con for reasons unknown. How exactly does this alleged hoax even benefit this fake Ellie? Some guy cooks up an elaborate scheme to go pro in a minor league as a woman because this is obviously so well-received and full of perks when they're in fact secretly not a woman. This guy is apparently a glutton for harassment and dox threats. He dreams of having this every move question and his safety compromise for the entirety of his gaming career. And guess what? It was a guy. Yes, he did all that for the memes. <laughs> and and both Kotaku and the Mary Sue were like, of course it's a girl. Like, why would they do this if it wasn't a girl? You know, and this just shows that, you know, men are evil, screwing things up, and that the person got harassed, and, you know, women are being attacked online. And the whole time, Reddit was right. It was a dude. Which ultimately leads us to conclude... Girls aren't good at video games. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's interesting how important this seems to be to some people that there is a girl on or something on one of these yeah. teams. Like, why? Like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't see the the, the point. Mm-hmm. Okay. So apparently, um, the they asked the guy why he did it. He said it was the social experiment to see like what would happen. And I, I do think it was kind of interesting just to see how much everyone just kind of defended it actually was a girl, you know? But, I mean, in their defense, too, if you're just, uh, you know... Uh, this was something that the Washington Post covered. This was, like, mainstream news. This got, like, real real mainstream real quick. And, obviously, if somebody claims to be a girl, or, or I'm not sure... Did they actually ever say, like, outright that they were a girl? I, don't, I, don't, I didn't follow well, it too closely. That's a good question. And, uh, more importantly, this person uh, could have just said, well, I identify as a girl. Now what? Yeah. <laughs> but but it, was obvi- it, it was a guy... It was a specific, you know really good player that was obviously a dude and he identifies as a dude so it wasn't even like he wasn't you know he didn't, I guess he didn't want to when, when the story broke at the end he didn't want to like lie about it or you know, try to be disrespectful always but he just wanted to see what would happen in character no I'm just kidding mm-hmm. but I, I just thought it was really interesting to see the reaction of articles like websites like the Mary Sue and Kotaku treating the way this story evolved and it's remarkable that so much of the speculation turned out to be the correct I mean there was just a lot of other pro players speculating and in fact the spe- people that were speculating about what was going on with Ellie they even called out who the player was that was playing as Ellie. Like, they, they, they got his name down. They, they knew who it was. Like, a lot of people figured out who it was, and people still didn't believe it because I guess they wanted to believe. Some people wanted to believe there was a pro girl in the scene. But then again, it should be too surprising because there is a pro female player in the Overwatch League on, on, on the Shanghai Dragons. I'm pretty sure they haven't won a single game ever, if I remember correctly. But, you know, coincidence or not, the one team with a pro player on it, with a pro female player on it, never won a game. Coincidence? Oh. Who knows? Well, more importantly, the last headline I saw about this was Blizzard actually had a sit down with this person and the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much trouble did they get into? I imagine they're going to get a bit of a shitstorm. Yeah, I suspect. Is this grounds for like just suspending him? Well, the thing is, th- th- he was not a member of the Overwatch League. Remember, this was an amateur league. Oh, trying to yeah. So it wasn't an Overwatch League team. It was an Overwatch League team. They'd be they'd be in a lot more trouble, obviously. So it was a much smaller league of amateur, you know, still good players trying to make it to the Overwatch League. But I'm curious to see what's going to end up happening with that player. I mean, it just it's just a weird story that happened this week that was very fascinating. And then the reactions on Twitter were phenomenal. Where before it was revealed it was a it was a you know, it was a guy, so many 
feminists and left wing, you know, they, they were they were all defending this, like you know, this, this shows proof that you know everyone's calling her a guy just because you know a girl gets really good, you shouldn't call them a guy. It's, you know, why are you assuming it's a guy? It's definitely a girl. It, it was a fun thing to get into, but I do think if Ellie was a girl, though, here's the thing that a lot of people don't want to hear: if Ellie was a girl and they did get harassed this much, it would definitely suck. But I think. I, it, it, I really can't be anonymous either. I just exactly. So this was the only that, that, person that caused a lot of problem on the roster on the all right who didn't have their name. Yes. Right. That I Poor think. Picture, yeah. Okay, that's bullshit. If you're gonna just do what everyone else is doing and no one's gonna make fun of you, that's true. They want to. The, the fact that they're anonymous caused more drama. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that was the issue. Yeah. Because I do think, I think it's pretty obvious to anyone uh, listening here and anyone that plays online games, if somebody is a girl, if somebody opens the mic on Overwatch or any any game really. With a, with a female voice, they're more likely to get harassed. I mean, obviously, people harass each other all the time. I do think they're they're more likely to get harassed than not get harassed versus everyone else. So it is unfortunate that it is definitely more toxic to be a girl online. You know what's interesting? I think it matters on the game. Uh, really? When I was doing those WoW raids when BFA came out, we had Discord channels just for raids. And to be in our to be in our pub group, pub group, uh, yeah. you had to be on Discord, and you had you know it was it wasn't optional. Yeah. Uh, and and there were you know women who answered uh, you know okay who's in a tank I'll do it, and no one really yeah. I mean no one really it didn't really matter and I, and, I th- and surprisingly to me the women I think were above average players maybe it's like a survival bias though because if they were mm-hmm. the ones willing to play with us they kind of knew what they were doing, uh, but yeah I mean they always they were the small minority but there was always a few girls and mm-hmm. they held their own nobody was too crazy. Here's the thing too because I feel like when you're on Discord like that in the situation you just explain with World of Warcraft raids. There's other people there too, right? Whereas yeah. if you're in like a random Overwatch game, you just feel there's more anonymity. You can just be a complete dick and nobody cares, right? Exactly. Because you, you instantly get peace out with them. But yeah, when you're yeah, raiding, yeah. you're with them for like hours and hours, right? Yeah. And if you're being a dick, someone's going to call you out on it, you know? And it's more personal there as well. It feels more real when you're talking to somebody on Discord than when you're talking to them in game using your, your moniker, you know, Big Dick Bandit 69. I think it depends on the game uh, mm-hmm. and the setting, which I think is more power. To the fact that I think the developers need to solve this harassment problem through ingenious game design, not so much uh, uh, just blaming the players. Like I, I really what think the same. Like just like the imagine a, a, a kid, right? And like in like third mm-hmm. grade, depending on the teacher, he will act a certain way, right? If if he can, if the kid kind of susses out that this teacher doesn't have discipline in this in this in this uh, classroom, mm-hmm. right? If they're not sharp, if they're not on their game. They're not commanding respect. This the kid will be disrespectful, or they throw spit wads or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But in the, but that same kid in the next classroom, right? The next teacher, the third grade, if that teacher is you know more you know knows what they're doing, that kid will be quiet and do you know just pay attention or whatever. So I mm-hmm. think a lot of it comes down to the setting. I think whether somebody is I don't think people are inherently violent or aggressive or mean or nice. I really yeah. think they kind of suss out the environment and act a certain way. And I think it's the same in games. So somebody, so I think a lot of it comes down to game design. I, I always blame the design. If there's a failure on harassment, hacking, cheating, dupe, whatever it is, you gotta you gotta start the blame with the game design. You cannot start to blame with the player. You cannot blame the player. Uh, I think some ways you do have to blame the player, but this does take us to another interesting conversation with um with toxicity and stuff because we love talking about toxicity. And there was a really good video by Asmongold. Uh, there's a clip from Asmongold talking about Battle for Azeroth, and uh, it came down to I think. I think Toxic or something came up, and basically uh, Jeff Kaplan, the guy, the, the the lead guy at Overwatch, you know, he was as toxic as they come. You know, if Jeff Kaplan was himself in 2018 or 20, it was 2019, in 2019, where he posted the things he posted, 
he was his name was Tig Old Biddies. Tig Old Biddies. Uh, Tig Old Biddies on the official EverQuest forums. All right, he was Tig Old Biddies, and he posted on the EverQuest forums. Whoever came up with this sheer fisting of an encounter can go fuck themselves. Do me a favor, so I don't have to waste my guilt time on this jackass shit fest again. Send me an email at tiggle at legacyofsteel.net when you decide to A, implement an encounter that wasn't designed by a retarded chimp chained to a cubicle. A, get a quality assurance department. Actually, beta test the fucking game. Patch it live and please, for God's sake, do it in that order I laid out for you. And he just he just rages at the EverQuest development team, calling calling them retarded, retarded. chimps. That, that's not a very PC term. Our word, boys. I'm sure he said many other things back in the day that, you know, that wouldn't fly today. And the point is, if Jeff Kaplan did that today, he never would have been hired at Blizzard. He would have been banned from the forums instantly, and he would be unhirable. Whereas, you know, he was young, obviously, back then, and he's more more likely to spew nonsense when you're younger. But he would be he would have no chance to work on uh, Overwatch today if he did what he did today. He would be, like, blacklisted for, for saying the things he said, which is unfortunate because I think you can be a douche in certain situations, if that makes sense. Like, I don't like to defend toxicity by itself, but I think as long as the game gives you an option to block other players, and you're not like out- outrightly like threatening them, it's okay. I prefer but, uh, the old maxim: "Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can hurt me." Uh, so I think what we're building today is a is actually, actually I think we're going backwards in social norms. People think we're going forward, we're going backwards. What we are no, building, I don't think so. Why? We're building an honor system, a code, okay? And honor systems, societies that conduct themselves based on honor codes are primitive because they don't have the proper legal and social stru- structures for a legal, like a, a legal system. So they have honor systems. So what I mean by this is if you utter the wrong word or, or act a certain way, in some, okay, you're, not, you're just shunned. You're, you're out of the society now, right? Okay. And, and these aren't like real things like bashing someone on the head. These are bullshit things like uttering mumbo jumbo, booga booga. Uh, a good example was the guy at Netflix who got fired. Remember that? Mm-hmm. So in an internal yeah. like setting, a guy at Netflix said, okay, so we can't use the N-word anymore, right? Or something, right? Yeah. He wasn't using it publicly or anything. Just internally, he was like, okay, guys, we can't use this word anymore. He wasn't like saying we should use this word. He was saying we cannot use this word, and he said the word. He got fired. Yeah, that that's really weird. Where if you just say a word, and without the context, you get fired. I mean, we've definitely gone too far. Though I do think, uh, for example, like... I don't really rail on people. Even when I'm trying to have fun in games and like kind of like poke fun at them, like I, I don't think I harass people. Like I, I keep it pretty fun, and I'm never gonna be the guy to like call somebody out and just 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 rail at them and like just attack them or harass them. And that's I think that's a douchebag thing to do, right? But I think trying to police that is actually worse than just giving players an avenue to block those players. Yeah, because I'm never gonna do that. But if somebody else is gonna do that to me, for example, because I can only talk about my experience, obviously. If, if someone else is like. Call me every name in the book. Be a complete douchebag, and like obviously it's gonna hurt. Right? You know, everyone is vulnerable to words. You know, we can feel maybe we're feeling shitty one day. You know, as long as I have an option to block this guy, I think it's fine. Obviously, certain things are off limits. You can't. You know, you should never be able to threaten people, stuff like that. But and I'm never gonna be the complete douchebag to outright assault somebody verbally like that. But it just feels weird place to start policing that when we have tools to deal with it. It's it's uh and again. It affects gaming because, like you said, I don't think Jeff Kaplan could be where he is today uh, in this environment. Mm-hmm. And I think the ultimate thing we can do too, if like if you don't like those people that you don't, so I, I don't think I associate with people that are that are douchebags. If I, if I if one of my friends would be like, like imagine every time we played Overwatch, 
or League of Legends or any game, if I had a friend that was like constantly harassing other people, right? Like, I, I he wouldn't be my friend. That's just fucking weird, right? Like, if you're having fun in the chat poking people, yeah, that's fine, right? If you keep it like within reason. But if I have a friend that always harasses somebody, he always just drops every name in the book. Like, that's just fucking weird. Like, I, I would just shun that person, like both in game and real life. But I just don't think banning them is the correct solution for video game. Uh, agreed. I think we agreed mm-hmm. on that. Uh, and more importantly, again, I, I'm going to go back to the game design. I really think, and this is, I think, for me, an optimistic view on humans. We, you can design a game that creates toxicity, and you can. That means you can also design a game that reduces toxicity. It really mm-hmm. is the environment that's kind of, stimu- you know, stimulating people to act one way or the other. Yeah. So isn't that one more, one more thing before we move on from Overwatch? Isn't uh, another one of the characters autistic or something? Yeah, Symmetra was... Well, yeah, I, I, I don't think it was revealed in lore. I know somebody wrote a letter to Kaplan and she replied, and he replied to them that Symmetra was uh, was autistic. It was on the spectrum. Too, too, many, too many vaccines, you know? I guess in the future. Yeah. It wasn't a, it wasn't <laughs> a comment. So <laughs> I wonder what's next, guys. So who, which of the next characters is one of the characters going to be? Oh, I got it. I got it. Who is the big thuggish woman character? The, the Russian one. Uh, Zyra. Z- Zarya. Zyra is going to be Tranny. I'm calling it. Well, I don't know. Maybe. Who? I, 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 I don't, wait, no. I, I don't think so. Why? Anyway. Uh, <laughs> anything else to cover this week or should we go to the I think we post-game. can do some, we get some post-gaming. Uh, that's a little bit of post-gaming. All right. That's it. For the week, first podcast of the year. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next week. All right. Stick around for the post game. See you next week. Post game time, boys. We can talk about more nonsense.